Welcome to It's Who I Am, the podcast, where we celebrate the unique life experiences that make us who we are. We're your hosts, Hannah and Rachel Vasicek, and every fortnight we'll be bringing to you a dose of inspiration and storytelling. Interviewing women across Australia and abroad who vulnerably and candidly share the depths of who they are. This podcast is brought to you by Francesca Jewellery. On today's episode of She Did It Too, we chat with the incredible Sarah Davidson of Spoonful of Sarah. Often tagged as a fun entrepreneur, we chat all things entrepreneurship, but more importantly, finding your yay. Who would have thought that a little green drink would inspire Sarah to leave behind her law position to fulfill a life of entrepreneurship and an incredibly successful wellbeing journey? Coining the term Seize the Yay through her inspiring podcast and now book, we hear Sarah's life-defining moments. We could not wipe the smiles off our faces talking to Sarah and can't wait for you to listen. Sarah, welcome to It's Who I Am, the podcast. We are so excited to have you on today. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you guys so much for having me. I think the fact that we've been talking for 25 minutes already before we started recording (laughs) is a sign of how much fun I'm already having. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) Oh gosh. All right. A little bit of who I am. I describe myself now as a lawyer turned entrepreneur. started off on a very corporate, traditional, very certain and stable career path. And about five years ago now, by virtue of a very, very happy accident, I like to call it, uh, made the shift into the world of business and have been what I now call seizing my yay ever since then. So I co-founded Matcha Maiden, which was our first business, my now husband and I, and it's a green tea based um it's got it's a global company now which is amazing based on the marvels of matcha green tea and making that sort of really traditional ancient superfood into something that was accessible and appealing to the the mass market and the health food market i also co-own matcha milk bar which is a um plant-based eatery in Melbourne that's the one that's got the crazy rainbow lattes and vegan eggs and uh, drew the attention of the Hemsworth, which is my biggest life achievement to this day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a little bit jealous. (laughs) (laughs) And I also, of course, have the CSVA podcast, which is similar really to It's Who I Am. It's all about identity and feeling that the layers of who you are and how you got there and finding your ultimate joy and putting all the pieces together and just turn it into a book recently so which is incredible so excited um Sarah you just I have to like bring this up you said happy accident I don't think I've ever heard anyone (laughs) describe an accident as a happy accident really go into that Absolutely. So I've become fascinated by this whole idea of sliding doors moments. I think, as I mentioned to you guys, just before we started recording, I was adopted when I was five months old and it hasn't, it's not one of those sort of parts of my identity that I bring up all the time to be like, oh, look at my story. But it has made me really, really keenly aware of how different things could be. Like one small decision can change dramatically the whole course of your life. So uh, the second major sliding doors moment in my life was at a time where I wasn't your typical corporate who was unhappy and hating my job and hating the hours, I was actually quite preoccupied by how prestigious it was to be a lawyer and how fancy it could seem. And I had a really honed sense of gratitude because I think 
adoption has always made me really grateful for every opportunity that comes my way. And I'd just been through the GFC at uni and I knew how hard it was to get a job. So at the time I was not even really looking for a big career change. I thought I might do something else when I was 50, but I wasn't actively trying to get away from the situation which now makes me even more, it gives me goosebumps because I would have stayed there forever. And um, it's also made me really preoccupied with how much when certain boxes are ticked of like objectively successful jobs or when you feel like you're being productive or busy or progressing, you don't actually really ever stop to ask if you're happy or if you like what you're doing. So I was on that what I call now a productivity hamster wheel. And it was only when my husband, uh, he has a creative agency and he'd done all the creative campaign for the five cent campaign for YGAP, who also do the Polish man campaign. And we got to go to a rural school in Rwanda for a month to go and see sort of where the funds had been going and help build some classrooms. And it was wow incredibly transformative experiences, I'm sure you can imagine. But I brought home a gut parasite when I came home, along with all the takeaways. <laughs> no! And was so oh, no. unaware and disconnected from health and well-being back then that I just kept, I went straight back to work. I didn't even notice anything. My digestion was so interrupted that I lost 15 kilos off an already 12-year-old boy body. So it was like... <laughs> Very obvious. Rachel can relate. I can relate to that. That is. <laughs> but you know, I didn't. I was already small. Like I didn't really have that much weight to lose. But I just. I, could, I just would travel to Rwanda to get that <laughs> diet, babe. First five kilos, I was like, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> And then I just, it took me like, I think I'm like not a stupid person, like relatively intellectual at times, but I've never been slower on the uptake than realizing that something was wrong with me. Like I fully collapsed at work with adrenal fatigue before I noticed anything was wrong and was banned from coffee. So the whole matcha journey wasn't like, you know, surveying the market and knowing that there was a gap. It was just me being like, oh, my God, I can't drink coffee. I'm a lawyer. I can't do drugs. So, like, what other power am I going to use? <laughs> I'm You're a lawyer. I can't coffee. do drugs. Oh, that's so funny. I mean, many people still do as lawyers, but yeah. I was like, mm, I know a lot of lawyers. Find, like, <laughs> yeah, right? I'm like, I need a healthy powder that has some kind of, like, caffeine. Oh, and so um, funny. So it was an accident. It was an accident, but it was a happy one because yeah, it just, it, I was in, uh, as soon as I went back to work, which is obviously far too quick, as you can imagine, (laughs) the A type in me was like, no, I will think my way out of this illness. (laughs) And I got sent to the firm's headquarters in Hong Kong and over there in Asia matches everywhere. It's not the cool superfood that, you know, it's not marketed for its health benefits. It's marketed for its energy boost that lasts for like hours and hours. So the Zen Buddhist monks would use it to stay awake during their meditations. And instead of like a coffee where you get a a spike and then a crash, you get a really prolonged sustained energy boost. So I need to start okay, drinking I'm matcha. Yeah, I'm going, I don't note to self buying matcha right now. <laughs> I actually, I've never even had it before. I used to use your matcha green tea all the time. Wow. Literally 100%. You never shared time. with me. <laughs> Anything that I say to Rachel, she actually doesn't listen to until yeah, someone like else says it. And then she's like, oh, so I'm like, oh, this matcha, you know, it's really amazing. I'm like, Mate, I've been <laughs> for 10 years. You're like an old married really couple. We are, no, we really we are. really are. And every time she suggests something, I'm just like, no, Hannah, you try like you a do thousand you. too many things. I do. 
So I just don't, I just don't pay attention until something like this happens. The reason why you are so successful today is because of a parasite. Absolutely. (laughs) That's really cool. That's a really great accident. (laughs) Well, it's now turned my whole philosophy, which I think I was already probably getting to, but the whole idea that it's really only in adversity and the crappier times that Mm. the best parts do come because you don't really grow when things are going well or when things are going exactly how you expected. Like you don't change or learn a lesson. There's nothing to sort of gain from that. It's more the the tougher, unexpected times. And that's obviously this year more relevant than ever, that it's, yeah, it's really the crappier times where you can pull the silver silver lining and the lesson from. That's so interesting. And I think what's interesting is that you weren't necessarily unhappy in your law career. And I think a lot of people, you know, they wait till they're so dissatisfied that they're finally motivated by how unhappy they are. But Mm. I think something that I actually listened to you saying in a podcast was that you, we don't often like analyze the micro and macro. So I think you were saying that um, the macro was the title of being a lawyer. And um, funny, funny fact is I was um, trained to be a lawyer as well. So I did five years of science and law um, wow. and turned down a law position for business. Um, but you made the most amazing um, analogy in that we don't actually ever vision the micro, like what does the day-to-day look like of being a lawyer? What mm. was it for you in particular? Like was there like this gut feeling that was still there even though you were happy? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it was... Not so much in the three years that I was there that I started feeling anything. And that's what scares me now is to think I was on such an autopilot circuit that I did actually think that that was happiness. But what now I'm so acutely aware of is unless you have something to compare it to, you don't know whether you're happy or just blah. Like you just have no point of reference and it's all about like relativity. So why I love, Hannah, that you do try so many different things is because... (laughs) But then you know, (laughs) yeah, then you know what you don't like and what you do like. Whereas if you only try one job, unless you hate it, you don't know if you love it or not. Cause there's no, there's not, there's just no point of reference for you. So yeah. I think when I was first there, the learning curve is so steep. Like I was really distracted by, there was a lot of intellectual challenge. There was a lot of great mentors. I obviously was working towards being able to travel with the job and I I love traveling and seeing the world. So this Hong Kong opportunity, we knew that that was available from like the very beginning. So there was, there were things to work towards that kept Mm. me pretty busy and distracted by it all. But it was once I started working on matcha while I was still at the law firm that by contrast then showed me that what I thought was stimulation was, but it was like 10% compared to what I felt when I was doing more creative stuff. Mm -hmm. And when I look back at my whole childhood, I had always had a really nerdy side, but I'd also had a really, really arty farty creative side, but that had slowly just disappeared because it had no role for the whole of more most of uni or at least the second half of uni and then into the the first three years in the firm. So I think I would never have maybe tweaked that that wasn't, not that it wasn't enough because I think you of course have to be grateful for what you have, but I think sometimes we feel guilty if we look for anything better than good, but it's like maybe you're meant to be just good. Like Mm -hmm. maybe you're 
go after what's great and that doesn't make you ungrateful for what you have. It just means that you're, you don't want to waste your potential and you don't want to waste life just settling because I think fear of not getting anything better does make us settle for the lowest common denominator because we're like, oh, well, I can achieve that. So that's just, I'll just stick with that in case I can't get anything better. But that's why it's like, well, start your side hustle while you're at your job. So you can mm-hmm. you can wait until you've given it a little bit of time to prove if it's going to work or not while you still have a wage, which is obviously what I did. I was like the worst employee for the first six, seven months <laughs> of Matcha Maiden. That's great. That's, uh, Sarah seems really distracted. <laughs> or you're getting your work done really, really fast and then we don't know what she does. And she always walks in with a green drink. It's also like a lot of Matcha Maiden papers coming out on like our law firm's letterhead. Like what is going on here? <laughs> Printing is like oh. expensive this month. <laughs> I, do you know what? When you were saying that, I've got goosebumps because they're just a silver lining moment that literally happened a few years ago with a friend's mum. She was actually diagnosed with Parkinson's oh. and she told me and I was so upset for her and she was like, no, it's so exciting because I've been living for the last 20 years thinking that how I was feeling was normal and now that I'm medicated, I feel like I'm, I, I've got goosebumps saying it, like I feel like I've got my, oh. my joy back. And I'm like, how, how do we know mm. if we're, like I'm happy right now, but how do I know that this happy could be happier or, you know, I'm content right now, but, you know, is there more? And, oh, man, when she said that, I was like, mm. Wow. Is like, that like 1% better every day mindset? How, how do we know yeah. that? Like that we, we're not living, you know, a, a, you know, this disability, not a disability, but, you know, this state and we can't shift it. Do you know what I mean? Oh, totally, totally. How do you and know I then, Sarah? That scares me. I'm like, <laughs> am I happy? <laughs> I think I'm happy. <laughs> well, I think like one of the biggest things I say really early on in the book about CCA is that if you read the book or if you do any kind of stock take on your life and you decide to stay exactly how you are, that's amazing. Mm. As long as it just means you've turned your mind to it and gone, actually, I'm still really happy with where I am. What the problem is, is when you never actually stop and ask that until like 40 years too late, and then you've lost the opportunity to go and explore and, and then yeah. benefit from that time. So I actually think a lot of people might think I don't need to change anything, but as long yeah. as they've sat to reflect and say, this is the life that suits me best. And it is a really hard balance between you don't want to become that um, totally insatiable person who is never happy with what they have because that in itself is like going to be a really unfulfilling existence. But I think because we don't want to be that person, we go too far the other way. Uh And we, I never thought I would believe that there was a thing, such a thing as too much gratitude, but I think there is sometimes because it makes you settle and then you don't investigate other things. And it's just so true. You don't need to change your job or change your life, but maybe within your job, just investigate the other things that you could be doing in that role. Like just dip your toe into different waters every now and then, even if it's just to go, you know what? I don't like those waters. I'm going to go back to my own, even for that. (laughs) Yeah, so you talk about testing it, you know, whilst, you know, you were obviously still in your law position. What was the moment where you were like, yep, this is it. Like, I absolutely need to quit my job. I probably waited longer than many people would. I I think it was about six and a half or maybe seven months in because Nick was already running his own business. So it 
added an element of my wage being the only sort of regular wage that we had for capital. And um, I also wasn't, again, I wasn't not learning in the law firm. So it wasn't as easy perhaps to walk away from than if I was like, I hate this place. I want to get out. So it was a lot of juggling. um, And I really tried to stay until the very last moment when they became absolutely mutually exclusive. And that came when Urban Outfitters um, in the States found us and asked us to do a custom beauty small thing to go at the counter, like in their beauty section. Just casually, you know. I literally thought it was spam. Like I was like, we are breaking bad but green. We are literally packing in our underwear in a garage. Like how did you find us? What? That's the power of digital. They'd found us on Instagram and like obviously what looks polished on the outside doesn't need to be that polished on the inside as long as you can produce the product, right? (laughs) That's us. Fake it till you make it is such a thing. Such a thing. We talk about fake it till you make it all the time. We're still faking it. I still am every day. But like I think the important thing is that you get comfortable with it. Now you're like, that's actually just how it goes. Like it's fine. (laughs) If only you could see what I was wearing below this, um, my top right now. No, but seriously, it's like. I don't have pants on. Okay, guys, Sarah is literally getting up out of her seat and showing that she does not have pants on. No pants. <laughs> I don't need pants. I'm in stage four. I know, but and also uh, I can also see, you know, you know how everyone talks about the duck gliding along the water and then the feet are just scrambling and it like that reminds me of that um productivity um hamster wheel that you were t- telling me about. Like there's a lot that people also don't see. And I think the ultimate state you get to is like when, you know, you can admit that you're faking it till you make it and like that that's kind of a continuous thing and once you mm. accept that it's just like the learning almost increases tenfold because you're accepting the fact that you know everyone you'll meet there's something that you can learn from yeah totally and I also think you're only like you're faking it at a new level every time you learn yeah. so you'll fake something and then you'll make <laughs> that level but then you'll start your what obviously none of us are the type of personality who's going to go I faked it I made it and now I'm done like, we're all going to go, okay, what's the next thing I can fake until I figure so it out? True. So you're, it's not like you're always a fraud. It's just like you're figuring out each stage as you go along. And having gone from being the person whose career was like moving dot points around back and forth, because that's a level of perfectionism that was expected. Oh. Now I totally embrace that. It's like, do you know, you can actually learn on the go. Like you don't have to do yes. seven years of preparation for every career you start. Yeah, absolutely. So the Urban Outfitters was definitely a defining moment for you. Yeah. That's when it became a, um, like we could only fulfill the order and say yes to them. If someone went full-time and we had no staff, it was just us, but we had no hours unless one of us went full-time and Nick was already full-time on his business. So the only way to say yes was for me to leave or to say no. So it became like a a true fork in the road moment. It wasn't like two hypothetical options. It was like, you're saying no to one of them today. Like which one is it going to be? And I think it, it was, of course, scary. Of course, I agonized a lot about it. Of course, I consulted every single person a million times about it in my life. Mm. But looking back, I often, like, if all other things are equal, the question I ask myself is what's the once in a lifetime opportunity? Because many things 
you can go back to. Like even if you won't won't be at the same level or you might have lost a little bit of traction, like there are some things that are pretty pretty safe, a safe bet and a, a safe sort of backup plan. And I was qualified. I didn't sort of leave halfway through my degree. Like if I wanted to go back to law, there weren't many steps that I would have to do. Small catch-ups, I could keep my registration. Like there were ways to make that a much smaller conceptual jump than it actually could have felt like. Um, So I actually took leave, a leave of absence for 12 months first. So I wasn't technically quitting, but I didn't have to be there all day, every day. And I could just like it was as if I left, you know, I just never went yeah. back. I knew I wasn't coming back, <laughs> but I, yeah. Insurance I, policy. Yeah. And but yeah. even if, I, if they'd said no, I'd made my mind up that if I was resigning that day, it didn't matter because the, of all the things in life that you're going to have to face, it's death taxes and, and you need lawyers for that. Mm. So I was like, it's not going <laughs> anywhere. Going I love that. I've actually never thought about, you know, like the once in a lifetime moment. That's yeah, huge. me either. So good. You'll never regret trying something that you knew you would never get a chance to do again. Mm. And you'll also not regret walking away from something if you knew you could go back to it if something went wrong. So it's like there's not, it's not, there's not a huge risk. Like I often, the same way that I talk about the micro and macro decision-making I also think about like the risk management of it and we think risks are massive like people always frame it when they ask me this question of you walked away from a stable career and it was really like well-paying and blah blah and I was like actually I took two steps away from it I didn't really Mm. walk away from it like I kind of can go back even now some days I'm like oh this is fucking hard I'm just gonna go back to law like I still (laughs) think of it a nine to five job be sometimes right like sometimes it's still there in my head that it's possible which means that I, I never really had to walk away from it in the same way that like I, I think most things in my life that I've done that other people still like think are quite big decisions it's because I just tricked myself like just trick your own brain <laughs> trick your brain <laughs> I love it. That's too good. You are so optimistic and it like really comes through in CZA. Where does that come from? Like, has that been like a journey in itself, like learning how to be, you know, find the silver lining and everything? A little bit. I think part of it is I've always been a bit of a positivity panda. And I think that comes from subconsciously, I think being adopted has made me really grateful. And my parents are country bumpkin Australians from rural towns that have just such an appreciation for life. And that's obviously really infectious and and you really absorb the values of the people you grow up with. And um, I think it's a combination of me having that disposition, plus it being really supported and encouraged and never stifled. Like I was always, you know, the quote that my childhood was, was like, never let anyone dull your spark. Or my parents would just let us explore everything. Like I, the best thing about being Asian without Asian parents is that there was never any like doctor, lawyer, pharmacist pressure, you know, like my parents were like, do sport, like be whatever you want to be, do drama. I was a ballerina. My first career anyway. I know, but my first career was with the Australian ballet. Like I was just so arty farty and like, I can do anything. What were you doing in the Australian ballet? I was a ballerina. You were. Okay, we didn't know that. that is incredible. Wow. But, yeah, I think it's a 
part part of it is always having had that disposition and part of yeah. it is continuing to make sure it survives because I think there comes a point in your life where you do get really bogged down by how serious yeah. everything is and there's so much negativity in the world and especially this year I think it's forced even the most positive among us to really reevaluate are we actually good at looking for the silver linings and do we actually have that resilience and something I have had to come to terms with particularly as I've gotten older and I found my anxiety has really become quite a crippling thing to manage whereas it wasn't really when I was a kid and that's I think a side effect of being like such a highly strong wired person um is that happiness doesn't mean you're positive all the time Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to be and I think I for a while I expected that of myself because I projected that and then when I'm not bubbly I'm like what's wrong with you whereas now I'm like happiness is just the ability to deal with problems. It's not not having them. It's just being able to like ride the wave and then come back to yourself. I love that. So yeah, something that really intrigues me is the positive panda. Um, (laughs) You have sought help before, you know, like um, you are quite open about, you know, having a psychologist and things like that. Can you tell us a bit about that? Because it's something that you probably like that would probably shock a lot of people and, you know, you're so happy. Why do you need help? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think it probably came from misinterpreting and tying my own worth up so much in being that positivity panda. Like when I first started to have moments of anxiety or tougher times where I just couldn't cope with things or would get overwhelmed, I would think I would push it down so much because I was like, that's not part of my identity. Like just get over it. And I didn't develop strategies then to manage my mental health because I didn't think that I should need them. So I just spent so long being like distracting myself with being busy, which, you know, I talk about all the time, like the whole like productivity hamster wheel thing and the glorification of being busy. And part of that adrenal fatigue breakdown was when my anxiety first fled. It was a physical collapse, but it was also a total emotional leveling of like, you can't just keep asking of your brain and then not doing anything nice to it. And then expecting you to still be positivity panda. Like it doesn't work that way. You can't not earn your right to feel your best. You actually have to do something to get that. And that's when I really realized happiness isn't a state that you just wake up in. It's a practice that you actually have to do. It's not a thing that happens as a thing you create for yourself by constantly making the choice to find out what helps you get there and then do that stuff. And you take it for granted when you're younger, because you don't have to work very hard for it most of the time. Like until you have a real kind of um, roadblock to your happiness, you never realize you have to try. So that really humbled me and was like, oh shit, if I've got a brain that can do all these great things, it's also probably going to come with all this anxiety as well. Like that's just often brains that are really high, high functioning and like really fast in one area are going to have these (laughs) sort of slip ups on the other side. And again, like I just, the perfectionist in me wasn't very good at managing it and would just keep, keep thinking I was infallible and keep not meditating, not taking breaks, not taking weekends, even in the first year of business where I was very quickly initiated into health and wellness still, like I still had this superficial idea that if I exercised and I ate my broccoli, like that should be enough. There was no (laughs) mind rest. There was no play. And that's why the whole play TA and CZA is so important to me because I'm like, even if you love your job, you can have too much of a good thing. You can have too much of your favorite thing in the world and still burn out from it, even if it's a good thing. So, um, part of, 
the like whole journey of seizing the yay was that the second year of matcha maiden I had another almost proper collapse of adrenal fatigue recurring and a huge relapse of like really really bad anxiety like panic attacks and overwhelmingly crippling like couldn't work for more than an hour a day and that was like this is a sign I think life teaches you a lesson over and over until you actually learn what it's there to teach you and I obviously hadn't learned my lesson so I thought well the only way I'm going to get through this and it is it's a big ego thing to first go to a therapist and you sort of think you're a bit defective and then you're like only crazy people need therapists (laughs) now I'm like everyone I know has a therapist like (laughs) it is the most even now that I am so much more resilient and have dealt with the anxiety and know how to manage it, even now when I feel great, I still go because we live in a world where if you don't outsource some of your thinking and some of your organizing of your brain, the world is faster than it's ever been and our bodies haven't had time to catch up. So it's, it's not like therapy. It's just like chatting. Like it's just literally talking through all your shit, taking it out of your brain, sorting it all out like a jigsaw puzzle and then putting it back in. That's insane. Yeah, it's one of those things that I've always wanted to sort of dabble in. But again, I don't even make the time. Yeah. You know, like... So and you I often guess, don't until you need it. Like yeah, it's, it's when you're really when you when you completely. I can just imagine the little hamster that's been flung off the productivity wheel and just is on the floor. <laughs> that's when you ask for help. It's, it's yeah. So funny. But I guess for our listeners, I know that you're in lockdown at the moment, and uh, you know a third of our team is in lockdown in so many around the country. Are there any sort of takeouts that you could um, give us that can help with that burnout? Because I know that it's um, we we go through it all the time. Yeah, I think my biggest resounding quote, I always turn to quotes, which is really just me borrowing other people's <laughs> ideas and pretending to be my own. <laughs> <laughs> my quote of the day. Yeah, my quote of the day, but yes. my quote of 2020, uh, particularly for those of us in isolation, is that um, beautiful new beginnings often come from painful endings. And this is what we are talking about before, about adversity being your greatest teacher. Mm. It's been like maybe for some of us the worst year we've ever had for various reasons, financially, emotionally, all the things that we're grieving that we couldn't do, like people losing the chance for their weddings or not, unable to see relatives in really frail parts of their life. You know, there's just so many, so much loss and sadness and uh, changed expectations of what this year, you know, could have. But I think it's the first time for many of us, like some of us are really woo-woo and have done a lot of this kind of work before about like stillness and sitting with discomfort and all this stuff. For a lot of people, it's like the first time they've ever cleared the slate. It's the first time they've ever broken that autopilot circuit. And it's really hard and it's really uncomfortable, but it is going to be the time where your best new beginnings come from this because you actually get to choose what you put back in which is really, really exciting. It sucks and it's hard work. But then later, after you do the hard work, you'll be like, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. In hindsight, I think we'll all look back and think that gave me the space in a life that never gives you space and that if you don't take that space, you won't get it, to just stop and think. No one and appreciate what we had. Yeah. Like for so long, look at what we took for granted. Like I was literally looking at the news the other day of like people in Melbourne and like walking around with a mask on, like just like the simplest of things that we just never even noticed because we were on that hamster and we're so fast paced that we Mm -hmm. haven't slowed down to even think about it. But there is a silver lining to COVID in that I have never met so many people who have said, 
like business owners who are like, I think that this has given me another 10 years in business because I was so (gasps) worn out. I just needed everything to stop. And then there was like down the road, I was walking the other day and our neighbor was like, I used to always want to stay at home and now I'm excited to go to work. Um, It's, it's crazy. But another one that I, I mentioned to the girls today who are in Melbourne, we can stop and clear the slate, as you said, and rewrite our story ahead, which is something that I think is so important because we're so, we normally set up a narrative like we do, you, you go to uni, you had your narrative to be a lawyer. And we don't actually stop and think, can I rewrite the story? And mm. do I have time to write another a chapter so I think this is the time hey wiping that slate clean it's so scary but it's cool it is scary but it's almost like this is kind of I could never have imagined that as I was writing this book it would come out in a time where everyone actually needed it forced to take the time to break the so <laughs> but the best part is that everyone's in it together. Like what's really scary is interrupting your whole entire life and jumping off the hamster wheel by yourself when no one else in the world is doing that. But the fact that everyone is doing that right now means that no one expects you not to take advantage of it. Like everyone kind of gets that everyone might not go back to the way they did things before or might want to, might have made all these big revelations. Like at least you we're all in the same boat now, like Mm. worldwide, we've all just been through this and we've all had that kind of jolt of like, what is really important? Who am I really? What do I actually feel? I genuinely think if you asked most of the population before COVID, how do you feel like about life or just generally, they'd be like, I don't know, I got shit to do. Like, what do you mean what I feel? So true, the reflection. Ah, who are you, Sarah? (laughs) (laughs) An alien. (laughs) You have to be to have done all the things you've done. You're like radiating energy through the screen right now and it's like... I swear it was just like, poop, there's a book released now. And I was like, what is this girl doing with her time? How has the book release gone? Really well. It's been really, really wonderful. But if I'm honest, it's also been the weirdest experience to launch in a time where still, like a month later... I've not seen it on a shelf because there are no bookshops open in Victoria. Oh, oh my gosh. Is it in Tassie? Have you stopped it in any It's in Tassie, yeah. We'll go we're going to go and take a photo. We're going to FaceTime you. Yeah. We will organise it. We'll pre-organise it and we will FaceTime you whilst we go and buy it. <laughs> it's been weird to not have that moment yet where you go into a store yeah. and you see it and you realise it's an actual thing because I honestly still feel like the five copies I have at home, I got them printed at Officeworks for my family <gasps> and now I'm just like giving them out to people. Like I don't feel like it's an actual yeah. book that's for sale in stores. So it's been so, so lovely to see that people are probably more open to reading than they would have been otherwise and the sales have been amazing True. and like the messages that people have taken the time and bothered to send to let me know which pages really resonated with them and why and how it has hit them at a time where they were already more willing to think about this kind of stuff and what their yay is and give that some airtime when they haven't their whole lives. Like it's just been absolutely magical. But it's also been a year where I had spent a lot of time and a lot of work on myself to learn how to celebrate things more and like take the time to really acknowledge when a big milestone happens rather than just kind of like rushing past it and then what's the point if you don't take the time to celebrate? And I have never been 
I've never drawn sort of satisfaction and gratification from buying stuff. Like I just, I'm not a big fashionista. We don't, we have a lot of things, but we don't, neither Nick or I are big shoppers. We have always put our money aside for travel and experiences or eating out. Like it's a, it's always doing the thing that helps Mm -hmm. us like pull out of work and take a moment. Whereas buying stuff doesn't force a break or force connection together. Um, and since March, we haven't been able to go even regionally or just jump in the car and go to the beach or like for a road trip to sort of take time off. So the book almost feels like it's the most exciting thing that ha- that's happened all year, but it also feels like I just kept working through it because there's no where to go to celebrate it. Like you can't even go out for dinner to celebrate it. So it's sort of like. So sad. So I feel like I will do that as soon as we can and then I'll feel more like it's launched. But yeah. because at the moment I'm just at home in my pyjamas, I'm like, so <laughs> oh, you can't even nice. we need some cocktails and dinner parties yeah and like even when I see it when people send me photos on the shelf it's so lovely but I'm also like my friends would like print that out and put that on a shelf to take a photo. like they would pr- go into a bookshop and pretend oh. that my book was in there they would do that so I'm yeah. like mm. is it sold there or did you just print <laughs> <laughs> finding your yay what is yours and how did you find it outside of business great question my biggest challenge I reckon over the my whole adulthood has been finding an identity for myself that isn't productive like even when I rest I'm like how can I a plus how can I like win at resting <laughs> I really that just need Hannah. to make sure you are literally speaking my I've got goosebumps <laughs> oh, cry. I'm like I'm resting to the best of my ability right now like someone give me <laughs> a gold star what are my takeouts for this hour of <laughs> oh my god or I would go for a walk with my dog as part of my like mental health like meditation that my therapist would be like go for a walk and like Whilst listening to a podcast and reading a book but like a finance podcast or like a business <laughs> planning strategic podcast that well obviously that's not downtime even one percent or I'd get in a bath and be like I'm just gonna have a nice bubble bath and like listen to like Jeff Bezos about throwing Amazon and like <laughs> just was not a thing so I'm dying right now I, was, I thought I was winning at um today I like cleared my calendar I was like I'm gonna be a mum and a housewife today and I literally folded the washing which I haven't done in like so long <laughs> but I listened to your podcast whilst I was following the washing oh. Okay, what's your yay? <laughs> so I, it like honestly surprises me so much how hard it is for most of us to answer that question because it should be the most obvious thing. When we're kids, we know what we like and what we don't like, what we want to do and what we don't want to do. There's no layers of shit of like expectations and like busy and productive. And then we lose that and then we spend our whole entire lives yeah. stripping up the layers to just look and go, I knew that when I was a kid. I knew I liked that stuff. Duh. So... <laughs> I had to make myself my own research project and write down in a journal when I was having a really good time, when I forgot what time it is, when I forgot what date it is, and then the activities that turn up the most, they're my play. So my biggest one, which is the antiest yay of all, I can speak English, most anti-yay of all the things is I am obsessed with crime, true crime. Oh, my God, I love crime. But, like... I'm like, done it series. do I fall asleep to serial killers? <laughs> what is this about? And war, I love war history. I love learning about like the commandos and 
Iraq and Afghanistan, like it's so weird. It's like the weirdest thing about me. But I've learned that I'm so fascinated by, I think it's because I love the brain and like psychology and behaviours. I've learned that I totally forget my to-do list. If I'm watching like Black Hawk Down or like watching you know, Law and Order even or something. Blacklist. Yeah, I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think about anything else. So that's my indulgence of like, if I don't do that at least every day, I need at least one episode or at least half an hour and a good chapter of a book. Like I but can't you try and solve the mystery. That's because my brain goes there and then it's like, oh. I know who did it. No, no. And like, it's weird wow. because even having practiced law, like a law and order, I'm like, I know this is absolutely <laughs> shit, but tell me what they did next. Like, I know it's not real. Oh, I, I totally that. know it's not real. And sometimes I'm so obnoxious. Sometimes I'll be like, oh God, the American legal system in Australia, we don't do it like that. The evidence <laughs> does not allow that. And Nick's just like, who are you? And I want a divorce like right now. <laughs> I don't wow. think I laughed that so was much in a podcast. <laughs> I was not expecting that as your yay. Like, wow. Yeah. And also, like, giving myself wow. permission for that to be my yay when I should say, I just really like meditating and, like, grounding yeah. my that. feet on the sand. Like, it's right. not. It's, like, murder and, We should like, go to, a, like, a museum like, or something together for our next catch-up. I literally have went to the Holocaust Museum, like, as, yeah. a, le- as a leisure activity. Like, yeah, a three-time no. leisure activity. <laughs> And you didn't check your phone. Didn't take my phone. Like I just, I fully disconnect. And then the other random activities, I feel like the more that you find that is a play TA, I call them for you, the better equipped you are because at any time you know how to disconnect. Whether or not you do it, you know how to disengage your brain. So one of mine is gardening because I'm terrible at it. But (laughs) if you're weeding, Firstly, it's very like productive because I was going to say that's after. productive. Yeah, it's the productive. But it's not like it's not brain productive. It's no. just like physically productive, and you can't there's dirt everywhere. You can't touch your laptop or your phone. I probably so should. I will spend. Well, like you might put something on in the background, but I'll put a crime show on in the background about how people are like burying people in their backyards. And then I'm like pulling up my weeds, like, oh, there might be a body in here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there might be a body in my backyard. (laughs) I I don't know. Have you listened to the teacher's pet? You'd be like 10 minutes of meditation, 10 minutes of journaling. No, I I love I used to be that person though. And you know what? This is where I fell into the trap of this is before I got sick the second time. Yeah. Because I would count that as downtime. I would count. But meditation and exercise for me, they're tasks. Like Mm. they're not play because I'm trying, they're for my health. Like they're a box tick I enjoy them but they're definitely not unwinding like I would go to a yoga class that was at a studio that stocked matcha and I'd like refill the thing like fulfill the order and stuff and I'd be like I went to yoga today like I rested it's rest (laughs) when you're like concentrating on work the whole entire time oh my god so I I journal I do all those things but they're not my play because I'm consciously like wow trying to self-develop whereas when I'm gardening I'm like I clearly didn't get the root of that weed, which is going to grow back. But it looks nice for now, so. And it was fun pulling it out. It was fun pulling it out. Who cares? It's like superficially out. Who cares about the rest? (laughs) I'm like, I'm gobsmacked because you've completely like 
you need to figure out what yeah when you lose track of time no yeah because I have a coach at the moment and she and I was having a chat to her because we're trying to like I need to achieve all the time Mm. if I if I if an hour goes by and I haven't achieved or learned something like I'm really unfulfilled and so she was like okay what can we do and I was like well you know I can book a yoga class blah 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 and I will not enjoy the yoga class and my brain will go crazy during the yoga class but I've ticked it off and you've you're the first person who's ever said like where do you lose time yeah and I need to yes. I need to take I need to do stock take as you said <gasps> it's my favorite test because I feel like enjoyment is a bit confusing because you can enjoy working you can I love work <laughs> yeah. yeah I love work too but the problem is when you love your work you don't feel like you need a rest but the problem is everyone becomes crap at their job even if they yeah. love it if they don't 100%. get distance like your best ideas come when you've had like a day off so once a week minimum, I feel like you have to let your brain totally detach from that to-do list because then when you come back, you come at it with like totally fresh eyes. And even if it's half an hour a week, like it's really not asking that much of yourself to put aside time where you just like literally do, you're not wearing your hat of your business. You're just like, I am a free spirit, like floating in the wind. that Pulling out the weeds. <laughs> And not doing what other people tell you are leisure activities because we are not all going to enjoy the same things. Like everyone expects me to say yoga, meditation, green smoothies, like cooking. I'm I'm so glad you said that about meditation because it's so not mine. And Hannah's always like, you need to meditate. I'm like, I know, but it's not. (laughs) I mean, I do it twice a day because I have to, but it's it's not leisure. I don't forget the time. I'm like, how many minutes has it been? Sarah is opening her eyes right now. Like literally, that's what I do when I'm trying to meditate. Like, counting so, down the minutes. It's so bad. Like I literally, I'm like, oh shit, it's been thirty seconds. To be <laughs> twenty minutes, and I thought it was an hour. I'm like, oh god, I've been so good. It's been nine minutes. Oh, it's been nine seconds. I need to count down. I feel like I've been to a therapy session just hosting. <laughs> Do you know, if my therapist was listening, I keep spitting, I'm obviously having a great time. If my therapist was listening to this, she'd be so proud. She'd be like, wow, it was worth the $50,000 that you spent over the last five years. Like, you've learned some stuff. I'm really proud of you. And now you're transferring it on to others. So it's like, I'm so excited. I'm going to now try and find my yay. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. We always wrap up by asking you what you might tell your 16-year-old self having gone through your life so far and having (laughs) its ups and downs. Like, what would you say to her? Oh, man, stop wearing supray belts as (laughs) good. Remember the ruffle skirts at Supreme, remember? It's not a good look. Belts that have that big clip that, like, clicked in. Yeah. Um, there are, (laughs) I think another big thing I've learned to really embrace is that every chapter made you who you are for some reason or another. And I honestly wouldn't change anything if I went back because it would change something else in who I became, even though I cringe about most things from when I was 16. (laughs) But I think if I did get the chance to go and talk to myself, it would just be to be 16. Like I always was in a rush to grow up. I always, I was like, and I still wouldn't change that because I think I had a, I was a really early starter to partying and boys and like UDL vodkas and like having a great time. But I got over it on time as well to settle down and get out of my system for when I needed to knuckle down and 
do other stuff. So like I, I wouldn't reverse any order that I did things in. Like certainly sometimes I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe you didn't die. Or like, <laughs> you know, just, I was a wild child at like the weirdest times. And the law barrels. Did you yeah. yeah. Like I just, I wouldn't change anything. I would just remind myself to keep going and trust that everything works out in the timing that it's supposed to. Enjoy each phase as you go through it and don't always try and get to the end and know the answer because the when you don't know the answer, you allow a far better answer to come to you than the one that you might have planned for yourself. Oh, love it. I love that. Thank you so, so much for coming on. You've been amazing. And my cheeks are so <laughs> I'm going to need a full face massage after this. Literally, you know, when you get that like sharp pain up into your like back of your head, I'm like, Sarah, stop making me laugh. <laughs> oh, this is so much fun, you guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such Thank a big you. fan of everything you guys do and I'll have to come and visit in Tassie as soon as we're allowed. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Thinking of you and thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcast, It's Who I Am. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review below. You can also connect with us on Instagram at francesca.com.au and Facebook.